Hi, I'm Carrie Butler, and you're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I have a special offer for my listeners. You can get my new course at carriebutlercoach.com slash broadwaypodcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Penny, who just couldn't stop the beat? Yes, with all her skates on her feet, the girl who loved to please, although she's recently deceased. A real cool mom, musical version of Tina Fey. Tina Fey. Now come with me and fly. I am your host, Miss Carrie Butler. Together, you and I are breaking Broadway. Welcome back to Breaking Broadway. Today, we have Jason Styers, who has cast so many shows, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, The Lion King, Anastasia, Fiddler on the Roof, West Side Story, 15 productions of encores from Merrily We Roll Along, starring Lin-Manuel Miranda to Cabin in the Sky. In addition to casting all of those shows, Jason is also the creative director of the Casting Collaborative, and he's going to tell us more about that. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. I'm so happy to be here. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you became a casting director? What, as a kid, did you um, did you know about casting directors? Did you want to be a performer? Uh, it's funny. Actually, I did not grow up around the arts, like, extensively at all. Actually, it was, I always call it nerd school, where uh, math, science, uh, those sorts of things were the most important things. And we were doing, you know, math competitions, science fairs, social studies fairs. Um, those were the most important things to me as a kid, but we did have a lot of exposure. I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, um, where oh, Alabama wow. Shakespeare Festival is. Yeah. So we went to, we went to shows, but I didn't realize it was, I thought people were just doing that for fun. You know, like I didn't get that it was like there was <laughs> yeah. an industry. You didn't know it was that. a job. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, I grew up it being, it being somewhat exposed to that. Um, but it wasn't until actually, um, my life actually changed completely around eighth grade, which is not. It's kind of weird to say, but I got kicked out of school for um, <laughs> I got kicked out of school for uh, basically trying to organize a walkout uh, regarding homework. Um, it was a whole <laughs> thing. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was a whole thing. I got kicked out, but they luckily let me back into the program after a lot of petitioning. And at that point, my everyone's schedule had already solidified. Right. So like there was only one period left that I needed to fill and that was fourth period I remember fourth period <laughs> um fourth period was open and they were like look the only arts elective that you can take that's available is draw they called it drama theater and I was like oh I'm gonna be in there with like seventh graders <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm way too cool for this I was like whatever I'll do it so I did it and it literally that 
that actually changed the trajectory of my life. It, I, but by, at that point, I went to a performing arts high school after that. Um, and through that, I went to, did musical theater. By the second year, I was also dancing because the dance te- the dance magnet professor and person over whoever said that oversaw that he um he he was like how long have you been dancing and i was like "Mm, like now he was like (laughs) okay so he snatched me up and kind of like pulled me into the whole thing and so i was dancing and doing musical theater stuff and and learning as much as i could because i didn't grow up watching these things and seeing these things um and then it was during that, that it was actually my senior year in high school that um, I became aware of aware of not necessarily what they did, but of what a casting director that they existed. Um, oh. It was the wild party, the Lacusa wild party. Yeah. And so I flipped that over and I saw that there was like a casting director listed. I was like, what does that mean? And so luckily I had a mentor, Randy Foster. Shout out to him. He's still doing so much work in the arts world in Alabama. Um he he sat me down he's like this is what it is and this is how it works and you know obviously you know there's a lot more to it than what i'm telling you but this is what that job is and it was actually um uh uh, uh, um the the heidi griffith down at the public and jordan taylor Mm -hmm. so they were the ones that were listed so i was like okay so they were the first people that i associated with what casting director meant is was um wow yeah so that's kind of like how it happened and then went to college in the middle of nowhere alabama montevallo um and we have competitive musicals as our homecoming tradition and i just loved the audition process and i didn't care about booking the job so (laughs) i was i was i think primed to kind of deal with that that is so cool so then you came to new york and just started working how did you start doing it Again, pretty non-traditional. I stayed out of the business for a year and maybe almost two years. Uh, I worked for Aveda. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, I love yeah, Aveda. Yeah, I worked for them and um, and you know did some you know educational stuff for them and some programming stuff for them and uh, and I knew I was going to want to get into casting, but I knew I was going to have to save up money in order to take an internship. Um, which would inevitably be unpaid because we're we're now hitting like the 2007 2008 like lovely recession where people were you know working for free a lot right. um, and so we did that and I took an internship uh, right after that and um, I just kept asking for more and more and I just kept asking because there were many people that did not want me around because I was eager, you know, and I wanted, <laughs> and I was also 25. I wasn't 21, right? So I was like, I knew I wanted to do this. And I was like, this is the career path that I've been wanting to do. So I was like, okay, look, I'm competent. I'm smart. I'm fast. You know, like give me things to do. And that's, uh, I actually, that's where I, I met now one of my business partners, Bess Pfeiffer. Um, she's the casting director for Severance on Apple TV. Um, oh, I love that show. Yeah, so good. <laughs> And um, she became a mentor for me and she, you know, took me under her wing and taught me what she did. Um, And then it just kind of fell out from there and a lot of connections as far as like making sure I stayed in contact with other interns and connecting with them. Um, So when a job actually opened up at Bender Casting, a former intern friend of mine had been there and he reached out and was like, hey, are you interested in interviewing? And I was like, absolutely. So... 
you know, very circuitous. I don't, it's never, I think in this business, I'm sure you can attest to this too. You know, it's the the line that we think we're gonna go on, the, yeah. the direct path that you're like, well, that is the answer. It's rarely that, so. Right, right. And just goes to show how important community is, how, you know, even the people that you worked alongside with the other interns ended up helping you get jobs. 100%. The community has, is the, is the thing, especially in this industry where, you know, a lot of the stuff isn't publicly posted, especially on our side right. of the business. You know, that stuff wasn't openly publicly posted. It's not shared broadly. It's not like, you know, some, yeah, sometimes there will be something unposted on Playbill or backstage or things like that. But like the people that are getting sort of like how the audition process goes, right? Sometimes where, you know, it's just like who, who we know is going to come in and just nail it. We're going to give priority to those people. Um, so that's you know it is a little bit it's a uh, how how the uh, how our industry actually approaches hiring for better or for worse is not too dissimilar to the casting process um which is you know it always made it very interesting and i i loved that kind of like excitement of a little bit of competition but like healthy uh -huh. healthy competition yes. and like acknowledging like you know there's a little bit of, there's always going to be that element there and um i enjoy that aspect so uh, segueing to the casting process and um, those people who you know are going to do great auditions, like how, what makes them stand out? What makes you trust them and know that? I think, you know, there is a certain element of, of it's really less about the thing itself because ultimately my job is to kind of help somebody understand the material and the world that is being created because it could be the same show here if you're doing it in i could be casting five different productions of the exact same show title um but every director may have a different vision that is such a great point and so and, and, you know you've you know you've been in this industry long enough to know that like okay even you know a version of you know like let's say little shop right you know like your version of little shop is going to have been very different from every subsequent version and every previous version and that's, that's right. our job is to like know what the director's looking for and know how to translate that over to the performers, um, the actors, the whoever the dancers, whoever's coming through the door. So that that way they understand kind of how to approach the material in addition to how they in addition to the th their own views on it. Um we're trying to synthesize. Yeah, so everybody, all that. yeah, everybody listen, the casting directors are there to help you. <laughs> Yeah, And when they give you notes, it might not be how you think it should be because they have that inside information. Right. It's not to say like, oh, this is bad or wrong. It's more mm -hmm. about like, I'm just trying to get you the job. Like then yes. then you can get in the room and you can really flesh out the art and the feels and the the vibes and the, you know, and challenging because as you already have attested to, like, I, I don't mind challenging a system. Um, I think that it is important. <laughs> I think it's important, you know, um, and that's what art is. You know, art comes from challenging preconceived notions. Um, but in order to the audition room for in my opinion, is not necessarily the place to do that. Um, mm. You can, but just don't be surprised when the answer is constantly no, right? Um, right. I think get the job, get into the room, get into the position and then start figuring out how you can really affect change once you're inside of it. Um, but that's hard. Yeah. That's hard. To, that's hard on the heart. Um, mm -hmm. But Do you see any people like come in and 
make certain mistakes that you're like, oh, I wish they didn't do that, you know, or you're like, oh, you're hurting yourself. I think it's actually tied to what we were just talking about. I think getting overly precious and getting overly connected to the way you're doing it. Yeah. And it's your choices. Yeah. Your choices. I mean, your choices are important. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what's really exciting is, you know, when people do come in, they're like, let's find where those intersect and maybe where those conflict and how we can play with those. Um, The audition room can be a really enjoyable experience if you're willing to come in with that notion. Um, Hanging on to the end, I mean, lack of preparation. That's, I mean, it's it's trite, I know to say, but like, it's true. If you're the better prepared you are. I always compare it to, um, you know, in the in the restaurant industry, like in the world of fancy chefs, you know, the concept of mise en place, where every single day you come in, you have everything, you have the knife that's been cleaned properly, you have this, and things are in the same place. So that way you can grab things, muscle memory can kick in. Um, and I think that you kind of have to have that with material. I think you should have a certain level of mise en place with your material and your your acting chops. So that way you can have all of this stuff kind of sitting or like, obviously nothing physically is going to be sitting around you, but you know, like in your kind of mind brain, you have all these things that are just sitting around easy for you to grab or put back. I'd be like, you know, that that's not working. Put it back. That's fine. Right, Next right. thing, you know, let me grab this like garlic press that actually is normally used for garlic, but if let's try it out for this like cherry tomato. I don't know if it's going to be right. Ooh, that's not working. Um, right. So it's not even about the actual preparation, like memorizing lines, which is super important, but the preparation before you get that audition, like the training and all of those different ways that you can then pull from those tools for So you're prepared for the audition when it comes up. Exactly. You got to the knife has to be sharp. You know what I mean? The knife has to be sharp. <laughs> if, you, if you grab a dull yeah. knife, you're going to struggle for the rest of the time. So you need to ha- keep it like you need to care for it. Or you need to be very creative and like, I know the knife is dull today. And that's acceptable. That is acceptable. Mm-hmm. The knife is dull today. Oh, I messed up because life happens. But you know yeah. what? I'm going to get creative about how I'm going to use this this tool over here. And maybe it's not going to be exactly what I had intended. And that is where the preciousness has to be let go of. Like, it's not exactly, and I'm that person. I'm like, I want the plan to go as we planned. Right. You got to let go of that to some extent when you come into the audition room, in my opinion. Okay, I'm going to ask you a super technical question (laughs) that is very controversial. (laughs) What audition songs do you love and not like? (laughs) I've never met one that I don't love. And I, 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 and I, and I just, I, I, it's all about, it's all about context. You know, communication Mm -hmm. in general is all about context. So the question for me is always, is this the right thing for this right moment in this right, like going in for this, like this position, this role in this show? Because Mm -hmm. I think that for every, I've heard so many other people in this industry be like, I try never to use, I just said never, but I try never to use never and never, and Uh you know, never to use always. Um, Uh They're dangerous words in the sense of like uh, in a creative field Um, because I've, I've seen such, there's a great, I, I still think about this audition. It was just an audition for Spamalot at Tuts in like 2014, 13 maybe. Mm-hmm. And a now friend, Andrew Hodge, he's a wonderful actor, dancer. He does it all and a hilarious mm-hmm. human being. 
he came in with like his resume he had redone to look like you know again context of time like 2013 he had redone his resume to look like a facebook profile and he sang oh the theme song to david the gnome the animated and in every other situation oh you'd be like this is ridiculous what is oh happening are you crazy but for spam a lot it was immediate. Love he it. was immediately hired. Immediately. Oh wow! It's like, and literally, the artistic director was like, "Great, done. He's in." Like, it was like, no question whatsoever. So also because you know he's a smart actor. Just by doing all of those things, you know he's putting his thought out there, and and he's on the same page as you all. Yeah, yeah. and he's and he was taking he was taking a risk, but he was like, taking a calculated yeah. risk. You know, right. I think he was very smart about that. He understood like. Would I bring this in for, for he actually did a, a few years of our White Christmas tour. He would have never done that for White Christmas because right. that's not the world, right? Mm -hmm. But for Spamalot, it makes sense. We need a, a weird, you know, wonderful, hilarious human being who doesn't take himself too seriously. So. Do you have any other really good audition stories? Like from through the years. Oh God, there's so many. There's so many. I mean, I I always get like kind of misty eyed about any of the times that we get to talk about like my kids, as I call them, even though none of them are kids anymore. They're all <sighs> voting and you know voting adults. <laughs> oh God, it's terrifying. Um, but you know, like a lot of my time that I spent with like like Lion King and the, and the kids casting of that process. You know, like I think that thinking back to even being in a room full of you know. At the time, we would I would see fifty to forty to fifty kids at one time, teach them all of just can't wait. Well, a section of just can't wait to be king, and this is this one specifically was at the Apollo, so wow. epic space to be in, like humbling space to be in, um, and going through this material and teaching them and like kind of breaking it all down, like you would do with any song, right? We're breaking down the beats, we're talking about vocabulary, we're like, what does this mean? Well, you know. And just you did all that with 50 kids at one time? At one time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then the next group of 50 would come in. And then the wow. next group of 50 would come in. And I did that for, you know, and it was so fulfilling. And it was yeah. so much fun. And you could literally tell, like, immediately when folks just got it. Like, mm -hmm. when young people got it. Because it just clicked. And they were okay just being themselves and kind of this, like, existing, right? Yeah. Versus trying to please like the kids that did yes. it and like that's where i met people like you know kayla mclaughlin from, who's now on stranger things and obviously a bunch of other things you know that's where i met shahadi wright joseph that's where i met kylie Kurt. like all of these people that i met throughout that that now have illustrious careers beautiful careers on film television you know still on stage doing all these wonderful things lexi underwood i met in dc you know, um, Jahi Winston, I met in Atlanta. He just wanted to be a dancer. He was like, I don't, I don't really, like, he didn't even really care. He obviously cared about performing and he was there to do it, but he wasn't trying to get the thing. Yeah. And I yeah, think that's that, also a really good point. Yeah. 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 It's like you get, you, when you, when you try to hold on to something like that too tightly, that's, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's really, really hard to kind of do and, and like be flexible and play around. And that there, there should always be a sense of play. And I think young people have such a, easier access to that than adults, you know, because there's a lot of other things that are going through adult brains of like rent and, <laughs> and, you know, right, maybe right. taking care of kids and like, you know, like all of these other things that go into the equation that, you know, young people get to 
get to play. So I think tapping into that, even as an adult or as you age, having that kind of, you know, that inner child quality is so beautiful. But like, those are the things that I, I think I hold the dearest is like getting to meet these kids when they were kids, these humans now when they were kids and seeing how they even just approached life, not just like, mm. not just how they approach the material. Like we talk about everything. I'm like, I remember Jahi just talking about how he wanted to dance and like, how, and I was like, tell show me some moves. Like, let's do this, like hanging out and just getting to know you. He was like, kids a star, kids a star, like done. Like it was just and, and this was just an open call that you found mm -hmm. all those kids on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between open calls and like we of course did like you know agent appointments, but like so often right. our kids came for Lion King, especially came out of open calls. Speaking of open calls, let's bring on my niece, who I like to call the queen of the open calls, Margot Plum. I'm not going on open calls, so I thought I should have somebody on who's going on them and let us know what it's like, how it's changed since the pandemic. Things are pretty much back to the way they were pre-pandemic. The thing that has changed is, I will say, if you get an agent appointment, that first round is virtual pretty consistently. Like that. Yeah, okay. I mean, I like it a lot, too, because <laughs> it <laughs> saves you time and everything. But with um, EPAs and ECCs, I will say since the pandemic, there have been a lot more equity members joining because they changed the rules a little bit. So mm -hmm. like last week, I signed up for an EPA. And what happens is a week before the audition at 11.45, you sit on your phone or on your computer and you hit refresh until 11.45. And then you quickly hit sign up. And then you're pushed into a 15-minute waiting period. And then at 12 o'clock, you go into a queue. And you can see what number you are in the queue. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a little crazy. That's like getting Taylor Swift tickets. Um, <laughs> yes, pretty much exactly. Last week, um, when I was pushing the queue, I saw that I was number 300. Oh. And then suddenly uh it kind of shut down and i was like oh, oh no oh no <laughs> what's going on um and i had to rejoin everything and i think the website crashed because then i was suddenly number 65 and i got an appointment oh, and that's good it, it was good for me but i felt bad for you know actual number 65 who <laughs> might have been 300 then um, so there are just a lot of equity members on the site during the signups, and I think their server was inundated. For new actors coming to New York, how do they find those first auditions? Yeah, so you're, you probably won't be equity, and you probably can't see them through the equity website. So you're going to want to go to Playbill or um, Broadway World. Playbill, I like their interface more. It's definitely clearer on their job section. Um, Broadway World, you can sign up to get, I think they're daily emails. Um, sometimes they don't come daily because there aren't new auditions, but they will send you an email in the middle of the night telling you all the new calls that are up and you can see where, where to go. Do they have to go line up at five in the morning? Is it the same as where they can sign up? So for true open calls like the non-union, so to be honest, I'm really nervous for all the non-union and EMC people this year because, really? Really? yes, 
because there's this Instagram account called The Hustle NYC. Highly recommend following them. They daily will tell you all the auditions that are happening that day and then give you live updates. And it's really great. But what I'm seeing a lot on there is that they're releasing non-union and they're telling people to come back after lunch or they are telling people just to leave. Sometimes they're accepting drop-offs. Sometimes they're not. And then what's also happening with the non-union lists right now, people are starting non-union lists on the door of Pearl or Ripley or wherever the audition is happening at like 12 a.m. the day before. Whoa. Yes. (laughs) Which... When I was standing in line, I would have been so upset if I showed up at five in the morning knowing that somebody at 12 started this list with like 10 of their friends and they're not standing in line with me. So what happens with those calls is you go to the door, you put your name on the list, but then you stand in person, like in the freezing cold. It's not healthy. We shouldn't be doing this. Somebody is going there putting a piece of paper up, taping it to the door, saying, like, unofficial list for non-union for Rev Theater. They're doing their audition tomorrow. Um, And they're signing up 10 people or whatever. Then they're coming back when the monitor is there inside the audition holding room and um, transferring the list to the equity papers and everything um sometimes the unofficial lists are being taken sometimes they're not i've been in the room and seen them be like we're not taking the unofficial list you need to come stand in line right now and sign up okay so i'm confused the actual list is started by random people who want to audition or is it started by so like let's take the little women non-union call that was a particularly crazy call there's somebody on instagram or not Instagram, on TikTok. Her name's Jessie Lynn. She interviewed people in line. Oh. Yes. People in line got there at like 2 a.m. We're standing outside of Pearl waiting for this call. It it might be an exaggeration, but it was very early. It was at least four. Standing in line, like layered clothes. Like you can, you're not going to sing well if you're if you're standing in line that early, that call also had audition appointments. So, you know, who who knows if they're looking at these open calls anyway? Like, I sometimes feel that going to the EPAs and ECCs, I don't know if they're going. The last Wicked call I went to was an insane ECC. I mean, so at ECCs, ECCs are different than EPAs. ECCs, you can sign up online, but you you don't really know who's going to show up or not, because equity members do not get penalized if they don't show up. Mm-hmm. So um, I heard recently in a class that I took with Kevin Mitzinger of Tara Rubin that 30% of equity members are not showing up, which is good for the non-union ECC pe- EMC people for these ECCs. But for that wicked call, it was particularly crazy. I mean, room was packed there were two monitors. One monitor was yelling names. They yell your name three times. And then another person was echoing the name down the hall because the hallway was packed. This was definitely a fire hazard. People were missing their names because they couldn't hear it to get back to the room. Yeah. And they cut us down to eight bars. Oh, I was in the first group. So, First wow, group. You. 
Well, I also, I do, for the ECCs, I do the same thing as the EPAs. For ECCs, you can sign up at 8.45 in the morning. So I sit there and I try and get in the first 20. Um, I'm normally in the first 20. So I'm normally seen in the first group. I've figured out that I do better in the first groups yeah. for the open calls because then I didn't ruminate it on, on it all day. Yeah. I just got it over with. And so what time... So you did the thing at eight. Talk us through the time period. You did the thing at like like eight forty five. That's when you up. Um, for the ECCs, eight forty five a week before you can sign up. Oh, before okay. So you, that's when you signed up. Then when was your audition for ECCs? You have to show up. Sometimes the calls are at nine. Some are at nine thirty. Some are at ten for ECCs, and they sit there and they call everybody's name. So what time I, did you get there? I normally get there like a half an hour before. Because I think they start calling names a half an hour before. So this is like later after you schedule the appointment. Mm -hmm. And you get there at like 9, 9.30. Yeah. And the equity monitor will call all the names. And um, then if you're there, you say, I'm here. And you're given a little card. Okay. And so then how long after 9.30 until you actually went in and sang? Well, because I try and get a pretty early number, I'm normally in the first or second group. So I'll be seen in the first hour. That is actually much better than waiting at 5 a.m. So for you, being equity was definitely worth it. It was definitely worth it. Just even for the less time at auditions. Yeah. Come back next week to check out more of our story with Jason Styers. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like me to come to your school or theater group and give a master class or a talk back, please reach out at carriebutlercoach.com. If you like this podcast, subscribe and leave a rating. And in the comments, let me know what topics you want me to cover. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.